Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the Rough Trade Books Club. It is the, God, I've even forgot what month it is. It is May. the May, it's the May edition. Thanks, Nina. It's the May no edition. Um, that's a good start, isn't it? At least I know what we're doing. Um, so it's the May edition of the Rough Trade Books Club. And I'm joined as ever by um, Nina Hervey, the boss of Rough Trade Books, the busiest woman in publishing. Hi, Nina. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. How are you, Matthew? Um, yeah, I'm very good. And you are next to you as your right-hand man. Um, Will Burns, I'm hoping. Is he there? Yep. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Um, yeah, I'm Yeah, I'm good. It is Tuesday. And what does Tuesday mean for me? Tuesday means uh, no children activities after school, which is quite good. My wife's getting the vaccine today, which is quite exciting. Yay. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of it, really. So, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful summer's day. I've just been out in the garden to look at what's grown since yesterday. And the answer is I can't tell anything at all because uh, <laughs> obviously that's a really stupid thing to do. Um, and we have with us two amazing guests, um, Anna Wood. I think these are two of the, my, my two favourite books of the year so far. So we have oh Anna Wood God, with us. Amazing. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, more, more, which is published by the Indicate Press in next week, week after next, Anna. 6th of May, so I don't know when this is going out, but it's imminent. Yeah, it's and imminent. of course you can pre-order it right now, should you so wish. Yeah, exactly. Good plug. Get the plug in early because you'll forget otherwise. Um, so that we've got Anna Wood, and then we also have with us Leonie Ross, who has written a um, staggeringly imaginative and great novel called This One Sky Day, um, which is which came out a couple of weeks ago, Leonie, is that right? Yeah, it came out on the 15th in the UK and 20th in the US, so I've kind of been doing publicity for both, which That's is why great. I sound croaky and freaked out. You do sound a little croaky, but good croaky. Um, I think you sound sexy, Leone. Yeah, yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, um, croaky's good. I'm all in favour of croaky voices. I am definitely someone who hates the sound of my own voice. Mm, I, when I hear good. myself back, I always think it sounds awful. Um, are you comfortable, Anna and Leonie, with the sound of your own voices? I mean, I don't listen back to it um, <laughs> unless I really have to. And then when I do, it's that strange, uncanny. Is that an uncanny valley when you hear yourself and it's not quite what you were thinking? You get better bass tones, don't you, in your own head? I feel like your skull gives you extra bass. And then when you listen to your recorded self, you just sound... Um, uh, can I swear? Anyway, really fucking yeah, you weird. Can swear. Yeah. That was going to be my question too. <laughs> did, did you both have to do your own audio books? Not have to, but I chose to. I wanted yeah. to. 
Um, I think I've made up a world that's so specific it would have been it would have driven me mad if anyone else had read it. So I thought I'd give it a go. It depended on whether I was any good at it, but they let me do it. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Leonie, I went to your um, online launch and it was ah, uh, did you? lovely. Oh, it was so gorgeous. Really, really it? a gorgeous thing, yeah. Oh, that means done. that you watched me cry then. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> a good cry, but yeah. <laughs> and I haven't read the book yet, but I'm very excited about it. And I kind of want to get the American edition as well. I think there's something kind of genius about having different titles because it um, amplifies different titles in different countries, I mean, because it amplifies that urge to buy both copies. It seems to have done that. Of course, it, yeah. having two different covers is not strange because they're in two different regions, but having two different names is, again, not mm-hmm. it's not common, but it has been done before. Have you got a favourite, Leonie, title-wise? <laughs> I'm not supposed to say. Poppy Show. <laughs> <laughs> it's Poppy Show. Poppy um, Show, sorry. No, no I, um, let's say that my first choice was this one, Sky Day. Um, but I had considered before the Americans suggested Poppy Show, I had considered that too. So it wasn't like I didn't get it. And I should, in the I end, should... it literally seems to be what worked in both regions. And I just trusted both publishers because they're mm. that's a, that's a, As a publisher, I'm, that's exactly the right answer to give. Which authors often say that they don't really necessarily believe it. Um, but I should say, so it's Poppy Show in America, and it's this One Sky Day in the UK. And yes. this One Sky Day is a phrase that's used a few times in the book. And Poppy Show is the name of the island, the world that it's kind of set, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. And Anna, your Yes, Yes, More, More is also used in one of your short stories, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and it was my agent picked it. I had lo- I had about 10 different titles. Um and then my agent said, what about this? And I said, yeah, that's much better than the half a dozen to a dozen that I've been thinking about for years. So it is nice, it's nice to work with publishers and agents who, uh, yeah, you know what they're doing and you can just trust them, like Leonie says. Yeah, it's I think really it's essential, actually, when yeah. you don't have that. It, it can be really quite scary to do this thing. Mm. It's a very difficult thing to... Um to to set in place i'm like currently working with an author at the moment and we're still in that very early stages of trying to work out whether we trust each other (laughs) um it's enjoyable to see that but there's very much a kind of game going on you can tell of like how honest can you be without upsetting the other person how um good is their judgment it's really it's interesting kind of negotiation that goes on between an editor and an author, I think, to work that out. I think, I think you're... It's... Oh, go on, sorry. Everyone's got an opinion about editors. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was just going to say Matthew's comic book Evil Cackle probably doesn't help with establishing trust. But... <laughs> Thanks, Will. <laughs> I do think a great editor is... Um, so I'm an editor and a writer, and uh, a great editor is a beautiful and complex and rare thing um so when you find one yeah I understand why it takes a while to to ascertain trust and I think once you've got it you hold on to it I completely agree I'm an editor and writer as well so um I am terrible I behave really badly when I'm being edited which is ridiculous because when I'm an editor I expect complete obedience so it's (laughs) a very strange combination of my personality traits 
Well, but don't you find that's because you're a great editor and other people aren't? <laughs> that is also true, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I, I mean, think... that would explain it, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, okay, I didn't really want to say, but since you're saying, we're going to say it. <laughs> well, yes, that is true, because I become impossible when I think the editor's an idiot. Um, I'm actually quite, you know, I I bow my head and genuflect and stuff if I think they're great, but if they're bad, I just become imperial. That's it. A great oh. editor is a joy, but there's a lot of editors who just want to make something uh, right as opposed to what you want. And I say right, uh in the weakest possible sense correct mm. Mm. I think um, what I have a problem with is editors who think that the only answer is to cut mm. yeah sometimes the answer is to cut of course yeah cut but uh, sometimes things have just got to go they're not lending themselves to the work yeah. in other times actually your job as an editor is to identify that there's a problem but not necessarily suggest the solution exactly that's exactly the writer's job you say collaboration well, yeah, yeah. this is the category of problem that's coming up for me here yeah and therefore might be a problem for your readers so what do you want to do about that exactly and very often it's either cut or like either more of it or less of it <laughs> yeah exactly or just apply a different technique you know yeah, or put yeah. the scene in a different place there's so many different things you can suggest but I think identifying the problem is the best thing to do and then allow the writer to think about the solution if they agree that that's yeah the problem. that's right but Anna Another did you have problems did you have problems with that as a because your your book is a collection of short stories mm -hmm. did you have a problem with you know trying to make them feel uniform or did you want them to feel different I mean how is that like editing a book of short stories is different to editing one long piece of fiction uh, you know a novel so I mm, yeah there's lots of quite complicated answers to that I mean, let me just try and get my head around it so I suppose when I start the first the first story in here or maybe the second story now I wrote 10 years ago and then the most recent one was just before we uh, sold the book about a year ago um so the uniformity I mean the main thing is that I wrote them all so that's the kind of thing I hung on to as the reason the thing that connects them and then I think I shifted from one kind of story to another during this book and then I mixed right. them all together and I think it works um and there was a lot of I I, I met with quite a lot of agents before I went with the one I've got who is a a, a, a brilliant man called Matt Turner um and a lot of them, for very understandable reasons, wanted me to write a novel. Um, actually, they didn't want me to write a novel. They wanted me to turn these stories into a novel, yeah. which I think is a classic. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, and I could see why they did, but, um, but you, you know, uh, it's not a novel. So um, it meant that I did a lot of thinking round and round the houses about all kinds of different stuff, like... Part of me was like, oh, my God, I've got to write a novel, otherwise no one will buy my book. Yeah. Um, part of me was like, the more you tell me to write a novel, the more I'm going to write weird short stories. That's the stronger, <laughs> yeah. certainly the stronger part of me. Um, <laughs> and then another thing that goes into this mix is the fact that often you don't really know what you're writing about until you're at least halfway through it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, sometime after you've finished it. So a lot of the themes, uh, motifs, whatever, come to your word you want to use in the book um presented themselves sometime after I'd written most of the stories uh 
So, yeah, I think they are all of a piece. And I spent a lot of time working out what order to put them in. Mm. Um, Did you have any debates further, Anna, with your editor about the order that they were in? Or were they pretty pleased with what what you presented? um, So, just in between the review copies going out and the actual copy, the actual thing, I took the first story and put it at the end. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and it's a very, it's about three or four pages. It's almost like a, um, I mean, it's definitely a story, but it's a short little strange story. I and love it, that story. <laughs> Thank mm. you. You're um, so clever. <laughs> well, the job it does, at the, if you put it at the beginning, it's doing a totally different thing to if you put it at the end. Um, yeah. And and the thing it does if it's at the beginning is that it knows more than the reader knows, which I didn't want. Mm. That's what I realised. And if you put it at the end, it doesn't know anything the reader doesn't know. And so there was something about that kind of equality between the book and the reader that I wanted. And it changes it changes the feeling you get right at the end of the book as well. What a so great way to think about it. Mm. Mm. And, and Anna, the stories that we're talking about then is Hello, which is the one where you're sort of the narrator sort of speaking to themselves. Yeah, yeah. So that's now called Meeting, and right. it's at the end, right at the end. Because um, it definitely, because I read it in the, um, uh, I, I read the proof copy. Yeah. And it did, and it did absolutely set a tone for me that I thought was going to be carried through, um, mm. which isn't, isn't really the case. So I think you'll, you're completely right to move it to the mm. end because I was definitely expecting that tone, which is a kind of gentle surrealism yeah. to, you know, I was expecting that in the next, expecting it to encounter that in the next yeah. chapters. Um, but whereas actually now, it really works to it better. Whereas now it starts with um, a very specific setting. So it starts with two friends in Bolton um, in 1990. And so it's a very particular physical place, particular time, because um, that's something else that I'm interested in. I don't know, like the, um, you know, space and time and how that shit works. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, I think I'm just looking at it again and I'm imagining, forgive me if this gives anything away, but I'm imagining that last line of that, what, what, because the, the version I have has it as the first story. Yeah. And the last line of this, the original first story is, and I loved it. The idea mm. of that being your last line is really nice. Yeah. 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 That's it. The feeling yeah. that you get from that. Yeah. Because I, 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 I like ending a book and feeling like I'm sort of mid breath or mid step at the end of a book, you know, mm. um, rather than closing something down I'm opening something up I think yeah if that makes sense okay well let's um let's have a bit of music now um so we're going to have something that Nina and Will have chosen this has become a bit of a theme of you just basically picking something you've watched on tv um (laughs) I do love a formula Matthew so I've got a formula I think I think you need to do a bit better than that on the next uh, next. We month. always leave it till like 20, 24 hours before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So also, well, can I just say that I think culturally we generally need to um, acknowledge more how brilliant Telly is. Yeah, yeah this is true. That. It's almost like that's not allowed. No one's allowed to say that while television continues to be like revolutionary and gorgeous. But no yeah, one exactly. Is to say it. They're like, oh yeah. well. 
apologetic. It's like listening to the radio. It's kind of somehow more highbrow than listening to television. Yeah. Listening to television. And the, uh, I, I wanted to, I'm going to ask you about that later, Leonie, because the radio is one of the kind of um, overarching presences in your book, isn't it? But we're going to talk about that later. Let's start because we've already completely swerved off um, what we were going to do to begin with. Okay, so it's, what are we going to listen to to start with, Nina? We're going to listen to the theme tune to um, Jean de Florette, which we watched last week for the first time ever. And I only know this music really from the Stella Artois adverts from the late 80s. So it's just quite nice to watch it. But um, we haven't watched the second part of the film, which is Man on the Source. We might do that tonight, Matthew. That's brilliant. I'm sure everyone's really delighted to know about that, Nina. Um... <laughs> I like okay, how this has matured into a gentle bitchiness between us. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't it have has, mentioned it? the um, laugh. Yeah, oh, but the laugh as well. That's I'm very self-conscious about that now. Um, <laughs> I love right, your laugh, go, Matthew. Should we just listen to this bit of music? Yeah. Okay, here it goes. Okay, so that was the main theme from um, Jean de Florette. Did you like the film then, Nina? I loved the film. It was a bit of a surprise ending. So this is why I'm quite looking forward to watching the second part of the film tonight. <laughs> and it's, if I remember, um, it's about... I watched Star those Wars. when I was a teenager. They were like my, my first venture into... Well, my early ventures into, you know, art house. Yeah. Uh, and being a bit... Uh, being a bit shishi or whatever well, that's what I thought <laughs> and now I can't remember anything except something being stitched like flesh being stitched or something am I imagining that maybe that's in Manon de Source oh it might be because I don't remember seeing no. that one in Jean no. de Florette no it's a farmer isn't it searching for water on his farm and he can't find it and everything goes to shit yeah the, the, his, his, <laughs> his neighbours have, have concreted up the, the, the spring on his land yeah. and he's a sort of um you know, there's lots of there's lots of uh, kind of thematic material that's that's sort of relevant to to conversations that are, that are um, you know quite current. Really, he's a sort of urbane um, character who's inherited a, a, a farm out in the in the middle of nowhere in the Provence region, and um, the local sort of uh, you know generational um, rural farmers distrust him and 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 he wants to sort of he's got all these ideas that they 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 rather look down on because they come from a book so they've got this phrase oh i bet he's got a journal you know and uh, you know i bet he's got a manual um on how to do everything so he, and but but actually you know his his ideas would all have been perfectly valid if it wasn't for the fact that he was he was basically cheated out of out of water and um so there's this interesting tension between what 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 looks like sort of old-fashioned local specific common sense and actually him just being being cheated and it felt felt very much like conversations that you have that I have around here with people who 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 just understand the world as being rigged in their favor you know southeastern english mostly white mostly male types 
who think that the world being rigged in their favour is simply common sense. And if mm. you if you argue against that, you just you you're somehow you know inculcated in this kind of f- f- false information or false knowledge that's that is to be sneered at. But actually, you know, if you look at the cold hard facts, these are people who have got where they are by by cheating, basically. Mm. So it, I think it, it, you just it, summarised the entire entirety of world history. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking that. That's a lot of. <laughs> I'm so, really interested in the history of common sense, the idea of common sense and the damage it does. And I think uh, you just hit on it nicely there. Well, it's, I mean, it, that, that was the, the Cummings kind of defence, wasn't it? Oh, wouldn't anybody reasonable do the same thing? Isn't this just reasonable behaviour? And, of course, that's an idea that's totally up for grabs. And mm. But, yeah, so but, but we also watched it on another level, which was just because, you know, nobody's going anywhere and the um, countryside looked nice. Mm. It's got has it got a a young Gerard Depardieu? Yeah. yeah. Oh, does it? Okay, that's interesting. So, Anna, what with common sense? Then is it something that you've you have actually looked into? I mean, do you know when the phrase appeared, or when does it start being used as a kind of a, a an explanation of the world or justification? Well, there's a history of there's an essay by. Uh, our old friend Thomas Paine <laughs> right. about common sense. So that's why I started. I was I was going to try and pitch a, a sort of long essay or a short book about common sense, and then I got really? distracted by other things. Sounds like a pamphlet to me, Anna. But, um, it could be. <laughs> well, take this pamphlet, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's talk, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. I mean, it started off as an observation. And then I got interested in the idea of the commons. So I started kind of conflating or joining together these two unconnected things or ostensibly unconnected things. And then uh, the assumptions that are being made behind the phrase. And then I started Googling it and looking around. And then I found this Thomas Paine article uh, pamphlet from the 18th century, which I haven't, I've only read chunks of it. So, you know, it's a very, um, yeah, I haven't done the research is what I'm telling you. <laughs> but um <laughs> you're thinking about continuing to do but, it but yeah. i'm suspicious <laughs> um, <laughs> and i know i'm right <laughs> <laughs> it's only common sense isn't it it's only common sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so nina what um what pamphlet are you going to talk about this month well, as we're talking quite a lot about short stories, I thought I'd highlight two of the short story collections we did last year. Well, I say collections, but they're pamphlets, but there are more than one short story in them. Um, one by Wendy Erskine called Satan is Real, which was part of the Museum of Win- and Witchcraft uh, series. And um, Algorithm love Party. Wendy Erskine. <laughs> and Algorithm Party by Roy, who is top scouser. Yeah, uh, very funny. Well. And both of them have got events next week as well. So that's another reason why I wanted to give them a, a shine a light on those two. Um, Roy, is his event is actually on the 1st of May, which will be done and dusted by the time this is broadcast. But I think you'll be able to watch it back again. Um, that's with Writing on the Wall Festival in Liverpool. Uh, the event is called Risky Flowers. And Roy is part of that lineup of spoken word artists and poets. And then on... The 6th of May at 7pm on Burley Fisher's YouTube channel, Wendy Erskine is in conversation with Ben Pester for the launch of his short story collection, 
Am I in the Right Place, which is published by Boiler House Press. So two things to attend, two pamphlets to buy. Job done. <laughs> yeah, job done, Nina, exactly. What, um, <laughs> what else have you been up to then this month? I'm always fascinated by The Office. How's The Office? The Office is really good. I'm kind of, it's getting a bit too small now. Oh um, I'm going to have to get a bigger bloody office. Can you believe it? Um, or maybe just a storage space. Um, the uh, Garden Museum series um, pamphlets are coming tomorrow. So we're going to be busy packing all of those. Um, but yeah, just been trying to sort out some audiobook stuff with uh, Moose Rock Wonga. Uh, ah. <laughs> other, other little bits that I can't reveal just yet because, you know, it'll ruin the surprise. But we've got a couple of exciting things that we will hopefully be announcing soon. Um, and then the next series, we're working on that as well, which will be out June, July time. And how so, yeah, all go. How's Musa's book doing? Amazing. <laughs> I'm so it's glad like to hear that. it's non-stop. It hmm. just doesn't stop selling. Um, we've sold a, a ridiculous amount, really. I never anticipated anything like this. You know, you know when it's just me and Will really doing it all. Yeah, and Will's just part time. <laughs> um, but it's uh, yeah, it, very pleased with it. And uh, the ebook's out now, and we're so. Because we had so many people asking if Musa was going to be doing an audio book, I've looked into that, and we're gonna. That's that's the next thing on the list with Musa. So, um, and maybe some Musa merch as well coming soon. Musa merch, wowzer! Yeah, but I'm not um, going to reveal too much about that because that's the surprise. Okay, um, I'm so glad for him. He's such a wonderful writer. Yeah, he's great, isn't and he's he? such a brilliant person as well. Yes, he's a really good human being. Um, I think one of the things, I mean, there's that old cliche about writers that we're all kind of terribly envious and jealous of each other, and it's completely true. Um, <laughs> my, my envy and jealousy feels like, you know, um, feels positive and pink and glorious when people actually can write and they're, they're wonderful. And you just, you're jealous of their ability with the sentence, but at the same time, you're so happy for them and he absolutely deserves it all. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Positive and pink and glorious is is mm. lovely and right. <laughs> I, I like that idea as well of a, a kind of jealousy that's not to be turned away from. You know, yes. that, there, that yeah. there's some some element of, of of every emotion that actually could be, um, you know, put to use or or to be embraced from a kind of positive point of view. I like that. It's good. Yeah, that's absolutely. I think that's how I feel about all emotions. Um, but envy between writers in particular, because envy between writers is a compliment. So one takes it as such. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How, how's um, one of them doing for Unbound, Matthew? Moose's yes. second book of the year. Yeah, it's doing really well. Um, there's some big reprint going through at the moment, I think. Um, which, yeah, which is which is fantastic, and it's had great publicity. And uh, yeah, it's all all round. A joyful thing. I think it's really interesting just what you're saying, Leonie, about that jealousy between writers. Um, I definitely like the pre-publication bit. I'm never jealous of anyone getting a deal. I think I'm. Yeah, I think you're right. Jealous of maybe things I think don't deserve to be successful. Um, yeah, but I think that I think the negative side of the jealousy is probably structural and systemic. It's because I think we all feel like we're shuffling for 
a few of the coins out there and the opportunities. And we all know that, you know, some categories of writers don't get as many of the same opportunities as other categories of writers. Yeah. So if we're yeah. all realistic and honest about that, we also know that. So given all of that, I think this kind of systemic jealousy, which is nasty and awful and is not really anybody's fault except the systems that are broken and problematic. Um, as we said... Is that, is that the, the same thing as... Is that what I think of as Richard Osman jealousy, which isn't really jealousy. It's just like there's a different parallel world of books where, um, you know, they're all there as soon as you walk into Tesco and they're getting, they're not actually, um, it's not a book I want to write. Well, I mean, I'm cool with all kinds of, I'm sure we are, we are, that all kinds of books should, you know, exist and be out there and everybody's got different tastes and so on. Just because I love something doesn't mean that anyone else is going to love it and all that. But I do think when I kind of see the third biography from some Z-list celebrity, bless them, talking about their time with their mum when they were making potato cakes, I just want to shoot <laughs> myself in the head. I think, and again, I think that they should exist, but why they get all the money and are covering bookstores is what mm. irritates me when I've got you know colleagues and friends who are writing these delicate, beautiful, fragile sentences that cost them their souls mm. and making like 50 pence out of it. That drives me crazy. But then I suppose what I'm saying is I object to capitalism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's good we've established that relatively early on that we're in agreement <laughs> on that. Um, Nina, I need to ask you a quick question, which is, so you suggested that we play a song called Bushel High by Jessica Pratt, but I don't know if that's, is that to go with Will when we talk to him about the poetry later on? No, sorry. So that's to go, that's to go with, um, we should play it now, actually, because it was um, Jessica Pratt features in one of Roy's um, stories in Algorithm Party. Um, it's in the story Points of View. So that's why I chose that one. And who is Jessica Pratt? I don't, I've never heard of her. She's an American singer-songwriter. Singer um, this track is called Bushel Hyde, and it's from her first album, which was out in 2012. Anna, do you know much about Jessica Pratt? Um, I only know that I saw her in a church with Diva uh, right. a year or two ago. I feel like you two might have been there, actually. I can't remember now. No, we definitely mm. weren't. Um, and she's got an extraordinary voice. Yeah. We're getting better at this stuff. Okay, so this is Bushel High and Jess this is Bushel High by Jessica Pratt. Um so when you were speaking then, Annie, you were talking about Diva. So Diva, you mean Diva from Caught by the River, the yeah. website that you've written for. The Magic Diva, yeah. Yeah. Magic Diva, what you've written for. Do you think she's like Magic Alex for the Rolling Stones? She's like Magic Diva for Caught by the I River. I don't know who Magic Alex for the Rolling Stones is, but I'm guessing that Diva's considerably greater than he was. <laughs> yeah, I think, he was, I think he was Magic Alex was mainly the drug dealer, so um, oh, yeah. she is considerably. Yeah. No, she's much um, more important than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and how did you and how did you start writing for Caught by the River? How did that connection come about? Now then, now you're asking. I don't know if I feel like it's been there uh the whole time right. I, I mean I can't remember when I met any of those people they've all been they're a bit like um it's like trying to remember when I met my cousin I just they've just been there the whole time 
I feel like I'm now, um, yeah, if I had, I mean, I've got a blood family, luckily enough, but I also have like an extended family that includes Heavenly and the Social and Caught by the River. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what the first thing I wrote for them was. It must have been years ago. And I wonder if it was any good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so um, you... Diva's a very good editor as well, actually, talking of great editors. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah. And what? So, which was the first? Um, in yes, yes, more, more. Which was the first story? Then you said one was written like ten years ago. Which was the first one in the um, book? So the, it's actually is it the first one in the book now? Yeah, I think the first one I wrote is now the first one in the book. So this is the one about the teenagers taking acid at school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wrote that um, when I was doing an MA ten years ago. Right. Um and or a version of it. It's probably changed a bit. Not a great not a great deal actually. And then I think the most recent one I wrote was probably now then. Some of the longer stranger ones, like right. there's a story called Good Solid Obliterating Fuck. That's quite recent. Yeah. That's, um, so that's about meeting someone on a train. Yeah. Proust. Um and then there's one called Lauren Our Path Emerges for a while. That's quite recent too. And did the you... most, I mean, I finished them all a year ago, so it's strange looking right. at it now and thinking about how much I've given away about myself. Luckily, most people aren't wildly interested, but it's not it's not <laughs> like one of those kind of um, uh, biography adjacent, autobiography adjacent books by any means. But but these. Um, I remember my dad talking to me about how when you're writing stories, you're either like a bee collecting honey or that you're like a spider pulling it out of your guts. Mm. <laughs> and, um, oh, God, I'm the second one. Yeah, so I think <laughs> I think I am mainly. Yeah. yeah. So, so I feel like if you read this book, yeah, I mean, my gut's all over it. The good thing is that no one, I, I think what happens is that readers read our work and they think our guts are on everything. And actually, if we take a breath, we can see that our guts are not on everything. We have extended away. We've brought in other people's guts and so on. So the thing is that no one will ever really know which part of the sentence is you and which is not. And if you yeah, just kind of hold right. your head up high and pretend that none of it's anything to do with you. <laughs> God, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and when anybody tries to accuse you of, uh, you know, exposing their guts or exposing your own, you just look at them and look very puzzled. Yeah. And leave them to it. Or my favourite response, which is, um, I bet you think this story is about you. You're so vain. Yeah. If anyone tries to accuse me of anything. Yeah, that works well. That works really well. But that's not to dismiss your feelings. I know what you mean. It, it can be tremendously exposing. It, I mean, it is, but that's kind of the joy of it as well. Like, what's the point otherwise? And also, I do think life is a, a sort of ongoing exercise in getting over yourself, you know? And um, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> no one else is as worried about it. No, one's, no one else has read this book as carefully as me, and no one else is as worried about it as I am. So, And that's as it should be, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I did get this. I, I certainly, and maybe it's just because the stories are all collected together. But I did get the sense that the narrator was kind of. It felt like one person. It felt like there was a sort of uniformed outlook and a uniform way with language in the stories, and yeah. a kind of um, 
I don't quite know how to rem- how to describe it, but it kind of reminded me if I if I'm trying to picture the book in my head, it's sort of Sunday afternoon in a um, sunlit pub, um, having mm. spent too late a night the night before with a group of friends, sort of slightly um, well very hungover, but still having a kind of joyous time. Um, yeah, well that's. There's a story right in the middle that's exactly that, pretty much. Yes, that's probably where I got it from. <laughs> I mean, it's a terribly, it's a terribly British collection. While being utterly emotionally open, it's really quite a special thing. Mm. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. Emotionally open. That that was also sort of a feeling I got from it was this sense of, um, of kind of honesty and someone that was able to. Um, understand and articulate their inner world in a way that I probably can't um and I really like that about it as well I thought I just I thought it was fantastic I really loved it and I have Damn to say it's, as well, enviable. it's enviable that's what it is yeah <laughs> and I did I actually I when I started reading it I didn't even realize it was a collection of short stories I thought it was a novel um mm. and but because actually it doesn't say on the it certainly doesn't say on the proof but that's what it was and that was a slightly, you know, that was kind of odd thing as well. So my journey through it then kind of changed as I realised actually these stories. Like start, I thought they were all connected, and then I realised they kind of weren't. But by already in my head at that point, they were all connected. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just, uh, I, I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Was this? Did you edit it down from lots of other stories, or was it? This was. The, yeah, was just... there was more. There were more stories, and I took I took quite a few out um, because. Some of them I just didn't like them quite enough. Uh, some of them just didn't quite belong in this book. One of them was set in the uh, 14th century, and I'm right. thinking about turning it into a a novel. Hang um, on, hang on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there were others. Um, it's a bit like I, I mean I'm sure lots of people say it's it's a bit like putting an album together, isn't it? Where you just think. Mm-hmm about which songs you really like and which songs go after, belong next to the other songs and there might be a few that I don't know might turn into b-sides later or, or Janet be. Jackson interludes in between oh hello yeah <laughs> yeah um I mean there's a couple of there's one or two little interlude bits but not quite on the scale on the on the magic plane that Janet Jackson's on um I I enjoyed putting them together because once that's kind of once you've done all this the the gut pulling bit is has happened, and then you're yeah. just moving them around and yeah. thinking about how they work in conversation with each other, which I imagine is a bit. I wonder if that's what a novel's like. Your novel is like, but um, yeah, the terror, the blind terror, has gone by that point. Yeah, you almost get to a stage of thinking oh, that's a good sentence. I did all right there. That's almost. Should we listen to a bit of music, Anna? What was it? What do you want? Should we play the um, Idris Muhammad um, song first? Yes, always a good idea. Let's have that. It's one of the greatest songs ever, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for noticing. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is um, Could Heaven Ever Be Like This? Yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic, fantastic song. Um, I've been playing it a lot recently and um, it makes a difference to your day, let me tell you. It really does. 
And did you do you do you listen to music when you write or not? No, no. I am. I listen. To, I walk around listening to music. Um, there's a lot of music in the book, so um, there's lots of in all kinds of ways. There's sort of song lyrics, um, people dancing, people singing along to things, people clapping and doing dance routines. Um, but that's all stuff that's been sort of filtering through my brain for a long time. So I do lots of long walks with a notebook where I listen to songs and think about the possibilities of the world and I write down little bits and pieces. But then when I come back and write, um, it's it needs to be quiet. I think partly because sometimes I just, I'm very easily influenced. Right. <laughs> um, and very, very easily distracted. So I think I need quiet, otherwise... Yeah, I wouldn't get anything done at all. And how long do you think you can concentrate for when you're writing? Six, seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes I um, sometimes I hit hit that groove, so I can go for two or three hours. Um, but when I say sometimes, I mean very rarely, very right. rarely. Um, which is probably one reason I like short stories and not uh, beautiful novels. Um, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, that's just how my brain works, you know, in bits and pieces. What about you, Leonie? Uh, in terms of how long I can concentrate yeah. for, um, yeah. it takes me a long time to get in there. But when I get in there, I can be gone for like eighteen hours. I think. Oh my god! Yeah, I like that kind of intensity because um, I don't write often. I'm not one of those kind of Christian writers that does it every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's too. It's actually too intense. I can't. I can't concentrate in that kind of way. But once I'm in it, I can be there for ages um, and like it that way and kind of come out panting at the other end kind of blinking and feeling very strange and then can't have a conversation with real people for a couple of mm. hours because I'm just nutty. What about you, Will? Uh different for different times I think. Um uh when the when the 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 poems definitely are are sort of scraps of of stuff that I find come in in and out whenever whenever I'm whenever I'm susceptible to them I suppose might be the might be a useful way of thinking about it and then when I'm working on something longer um I probably do tend to tend towards the monastic let's say um but that's that's probably again to do with with um being sort of Ill, naturally ill-disciplined so if I don't if I don't impose some structure then um nothing nothing tends to get done apart from a lot of sort of lying around the lying around the front room thinking in inverted commas um let's have another bit of music anna should we have the louis armstrong track we picked yes there's a new orleans theme i don't know if you noticed it but yeah let's have the louis armstrong <laughs> and it's called i'm not rough yeah uh, louis armstrong in his hot five 